let's talk about getting health insurance through the Affordable Care Act and potentially having your premiums fully or partially subsidized in this, the 38th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Hello, hello, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm glad you're here. Today, we got a good one, got a thick one, got a pretty technical one. Uh, I'm going to be talking about getting health insurance through the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as ACA, otherwise known as Obamacare. Um, Obamacare was signed into law in March of 2010. And it was meant to be sweeping improvements in accessibility and affordability uh, for, for health insurance. Now, the, the gist was most people who didn't have access to health insurance through their employer or aren't of Medicare age uh, either had trouble getting insurance or got dropped or um, you know, were turned away for pre-existing conditions or had to pay a lot, etc. So th- this uh, sweeping legislation known as the Affordable Care Act, again, aka Obamacare, was intended to um, help make access and affordability to insurance easier for people who didn't already have it through other means, again, like through employers or uh, like through Medicare. There has since been some some tweaks to the system. I won't really dig into those. I'm just going to summarize where where it stands now and how it works now. Um, in addition to summarizing the how you get it and what the insurance is on the Affordable Care Act, I'll also be talking about a, a big part of it, which is Potential subsidies, technically known as premium tax credits. Super exciting. Um, th- th- this topic, while not specific to retirees, you know, Affordable Care Act insurance isn't specific to retirees. Uh, it is often a very important component of retirement planning for uh, specifically for people who retire early, namely uh, before age 65 when you're eligible for Medicare. There may not be a lot of options for you to get health insurance in that window. If you retire at 50 or 55 or whatever, you know what are you going to do for 10 or 15 years for health insurance? There's a handful of options. One is something called COBRA. If you did have uh, insurance through your employer, there's a government program called COBRA. It's an acronym. I forget what it sounds. It's like Consolidated Omnibus Reconciliation Act or something that allows you to extend your employer coverage, typically only for 18 months, though. Uh, furthermore, you pay the full sticker price of that. You know, while you're working, your employer probably subsidized uh, potentially pretty heavily the premiums you're paying each month. So you didn't necessarily pay a lot per se. When you're on COBRA, you pay the full sticker price they were paying. So there's no subsidies and you pay an additional uh, administrative surcharge. I think it's like two or 3% maybe. So COBRA could be quite expensive. And again, it only lasts 18 months typically. Um, so you can do that for a bit. Or some employers, this is increasingly less common, but some employers offer retiree health coverage where you can you know, keep the coverage you had, maybe still partially subsidized, maybe slightly different coverage. But the point is you can uh, get coverage still through your former employer to bridge you through Medicare, whether it's you know one year or five years or 10 years. Some employers have that. But again, that's not very common at this point uh, and, and, and increasingly less common. If you're married, if you have a spouse who's still working and he or she has coverage, you know you can get added on to his or her coverage when when you retire and lose yours. Another option, which isn't really an option, is simply wing it and don't have insurance. Now, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm partly laughing. Well, let's not even consider that. It is an option to do that, but I, I would not recommend that uh, to to people. Another option is a catastrophic policy. It's not 
full, uh, robust, comprehensive health insurance. It's just, as the name implies, if something catastrophic happens or, you know, real bad accident or surgery or something, then it'll kick in subject to, you know, a large deductible or something. So it doesn't cover a lot, but in, in a huge, uh, huge cost, big insurance event, you know, th- it's better to have that th- th- than nothing. Another option is uh, private policy, you know, just shop around, call insurers directly, find a health insurance broker, have him or her shop you policies, see what you can get. You know, they're not going to be cheap, but um, that's nonetheless an option. Another option, which may not be feasible for many people, is health sharing uh, insurance. These are typically faith-based affiliations or groups where people of a, of a common network, often again, faith-based, Christian-based, uh, will in essence pool up money and uh, help pay for each other's uh, medical expenses. It sort of looks and feels like insurance on the surface, but it is not. It is not technically insurance. Um, I'll leave it there. It may or may not work for you if you even qualify based on you know your faith or if you're part of the uh, the network of people that they allow in. Uh, there's a lot of sort of gotchas and differences from traditional insurance, so definitely check thoroughly into those if you're if you're considering it. And the other option is what we're talking about today: getting insurance through the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare. So a little more background. Um, as, as I mentioned before, the goal was to make insurance more widely available and ideally more uh, affordable to folks. Largely, and, and that affordability comes largely from the uh, potential subsidies I mentioned, otherwise known as premium tax credits. Specifically, up through 2021, um, if your if your household gross income was no more than four times the federal poverty level you'd be eligible for some level of uh, subsidy in the form of these tax credits, which I'll detail more. Just for um, just to put some numbers to it, I'll touch on these again. But for 2022, for example, if you are single, the federal poverty level is a gross income of $13,590. If you're a family of two, it's $18,310. Uh, skipping around a little. If you're a family of six, it's $37,190 is the federal poverty level. And it goes all the way up to eight. And then you know, if you have nine or more, it's an additional uh, extra amount of, of, of uh, money per, per person. Um, these levels I gave are for the uh, lower 48 states. Alaska and Hawaii have slightly higher federal poverty level simply because they have higher cost of living. Uh, it's you know, a few thousand dollars more per per uh, uh, bracket or bucket, if you will. And I'll, I'll touch on that more. So so that was the affordability thing. If you make a certain level, if, if your gross income was a certain uh, you know, multiple of the federal poverty level, you're, you're eligible for some, um, some credits where all is equal. The higher your income, the lower the credit would be. And again, after four times federal poverty level, if your income exceeds that, you, you are completely cut off from any credits. That has changed uh, temporarily, which, which I'll touch more on. So just to recap a little more about ACA and what was different about it. So there's always insurance prior to that, but there's a lot of uh, people had a lot of issues uh, actually getting it and, and keeping it. And, and it was expensive in, in many cases and, and still is. It's not cheap, but um, the the ACA was meant to provide some standardization and standard protections and coverages a- across policies. So in order for policies to be able to be ACA compliant, they need to meet a handful of conditions. Just to recap some of them, the insurers can't deny coverage based on pre-existing conditions. The ACA-compliant policies need to provide no-cost preventative care for things such as blood pressure screenings, alcohol misuse screenings, uh, cholesterol screenings for, for certain folks if you're at a you know, certain risk, uh, diet counseling for those at higher risk of chronic disease, birth control for females, breastfeeding support and counseling for, you know, for, for women, uh, for kids, autism screening, child behavioral assessments, et cetera. All these things need to be provided uh, at no additional cost or out-of-pocket or you know, copay or anything. 
It also expanded the ability for kids to stay on their parents' insurance policies. Specifically, for kids under age 26, they can continue to stay on their, their parents' coverage, whether or not you know they're in school or they have a job or whatever. They, they can opt to stay on the uh, the parents' policies until 26. Uh, ACA policies compliance also ends insurers putting yearly or lifetime limits on on benefits uh, on coverage, specifically for 10 essential health benefits. Uh, I won't name all of them, but some of these things are ambulatory patient services, emergency services, pregnancy, maternity and newborn care, and prescription drugs. Um, It also makes insurers summarize the policy's coverages and limitations in an easy-to-understand uniform, what's called Summary of Benefits Coverage, or SBC, and also provide a standardized glossary of terms. So having these documents in front of you and comparing policies, ACA policies, makes it easier to, to do a side-by-side pro and con of policy A versus policy B because they're all going to be, you know, all the key terms and coverages and provisions will be laid out in this uh, summary of benefits coverage, which is nice. The ACA also keeps insurers accountable for rate increases. If, if uh, there's rate increases over 15%, they need to have this formal sort of explanation uh, process. Also, there's something called the 80-20 rule, where 80% of the money uh, insurers get must be spent on healthcare, you know, actual healthcare costs and quality improvement of healthcare. Only 20%, up to 20%, could be on spent on administrative costs, overhead marketing, things like that. If 80-20 rules are met, meaning less than 80% of the uh, money they get is actually used for healthcare, then there is the um, uh, policyholders will, will, will get a rebate to some extent on their premiums because the insurer was in violation of this 80-20 rule. It also makes it illegal for insurers to drop you because you get sick. Um, you know, prior to ACA, just like sort of with, um, you know, homeowners insurance and car insurance, if and when you get in an accident, they may cut you out. I mean, they, they may cover that, that, that incident, that accident, but they uh, often will, will then drop you after that. Um, health insurance kind of used to be the same way. ACA policies aren't, aren't allowed to do that. Uh, it also makes it such that you can use, you know, if you do have a network of doctors you have to use in order to be uh, um, covered, that network doesn't apply to emergency services. So if you're traveling, you're away from home, you know, you get in an accident, you can use whatever local emergency services and uh, those coverages will be the same as if they were in network. They, they can't charge you more or uh, I don't think they can charge you more, but they, they can't like refuse coverage of benefits uh, simply because you're using emergency services outside of network. So so that's sort of the, the main um tenets of, of ACA and, and why it was important to sort of standardize and make accessibility more, uh, you know, make this more accessible to people um, and, and ideally reduce cost. Now, all these things seem great in principle. And, and I, 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 I agree with the concept. Um, let's not get too off on a tangent here, but obviously there's drawbacks. I mean, I, I think we'd all agree the health insurance, medical insurance uh, landscape in the U.S. is hot mess to put it in, in scientific terms. Um, you know, I think it's nuts. I, I've, I've, probably, I've always worked at large companies that have gotten pretty good, robust, well-subsidized health insurance through my employers. Uh, now I'm self-employed, but, but I get insurance through my wife. Um, you know, there, there are people, health insurance does in many cases hinder people's ability to do something different. They may sort of be shackled to uh, having to work for certain places simply to get healthcare because if they wanted to start a business and go it alone, uh, the, the, the cost of getting healthcare could be crushing and could prevent them from, from you know, doing other things, which in theory can stifle innovation and growth of America because you know, we all know small businesses are the kind of backbone of the uh, American economic system. So, so anyway, 
uh, you know, the, in principle, I like all this stuff. It sounds good in theory, but obviously there's going to be costs and, and, um, drawbacks, some known, some, you know, some, some unanticipated, for example, it, it means all these provisions cost insurers more, right? If you, if you have to insure people with pre-existing conditions, of course, it's going to cost more. There's this adverse selection process where the people who are signing up for these policies are the ones who are most likely to need them and most likely to use them which means insurers will be paying, you know, paying out more in benefits for these policies than they will for average people of, you know, of average medical use. So a lot of insurers have uh, since gotten out of um, issuing and offering ACA compliant policies because it's just, you know, it's not worth the hassle or, or the money for them. Uh, not all of them, but, you know, that is, that, that, that was, or at least, or still is uh, a phenomenon that, that that's as a result of, uh, you know, consequence of, of these ACA rules. There used to also be these shared responsibility payments. So if you didn't have qualifying health coverage, if you were winging it, you'd get penalized. You get taxed, basically. There, there was a tax you'd have to pay where that tax would get paid into uh, and used for, mainly mainly or solely for uh, ACA, because these ACA program costs money. And you know one of the ways to, to raise some revenue was basically penalize people who, who chose or who went without insurance. You'd have to pay this what's called shared responsibility payment. Now that shared responsibility thing was was dropped a few years ago as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It's still not in place now. Uh, who knows if and when it'll come back? But for now, you're not penalized at least federally for not having uh, health insurance. Some states, I think, still penalize you. Uh, New Jersey might be one of them. At least they did last year. I don't know if they still will this year. But you know, these things are always changing. But some states may still pay you, uh, penalize you for not having insurance and tax you for it. Federally, that, that's not the case. There's also something called the net investment income tax, which was put in place in 2013. And the, the tax raised from this is part of the funding for the ACA program. Uh, not, not to get too deep into this, but net investment income tax, which I'll do a separate uh, episode on. Basically, if you're single and have over $200,000 of gross income or married and have 250 or over, um, you, your passive investment income above those thresholds has an additional flat 3.8% federal tax on it, you know, above and beyond whatever tax you're already paying on it. That additional tax, uh, as I mentioned, goes to help pay for the ACA program. And uh, I'm sure you probably remember the, the, the system, the website healthcare.gov used to administer this crashed in glorious fashion when the uh, ACA first went live. And, and I get why. I mean, there was however many thousands or millions of people all signing up on day one or trying to get on on day one. And it just, you know, simply overwhelmed the system. Um, so that's ACA in, in a bit of a nutshell. Let's, let's talk about how to get it. As I already mentioned, you go to healthcare.gov. It's the official government website for this. You'd have to uh, create an account. Now, certain states have their own program that, that in effect take the place of ACA, where ACA is a federal system for this uh, standardized kind of insurance marketplace or exchange, if you will. Some states have their own. Um, I don't know how the best way to describe this. So, you can think of it as like some states kind of take on uh, for themselves the, the uh, administration of this centralized system. The policies are still compliant with the federal ACA rules, I think, but the state can layer on its own rules and or the state at least has its own website and process for doing all this. For example, California has something called Covered California. So if you live in California, you're trying to get one of these uh, you know, ACA compliant policies and possibly some of these uh, subsidies and tax credits. Uh, I don't think you go to healthcare.gov. I believe it's all done through car- the uh, Covered California website. Um, how to, when to sign up? You can sign up anytime. There's a, I'm referring back again to the federal ACA, and I think the different you know the states that have their own system usually follow the same deadlines or close to it. Uh, anyone can sign up for ACA insurance 
through a, an annual open enrollment, which starts November 1st uh, and goes through January 15th. So here we are, uh, August 2022, as I'm recording this. If you want uh, coverage, ACA coverage for 2023, you would sign up some point between November 1st and January 15th of uh, 2022. Oh, I'm sorry, 20, November 1st, 2022, and January 15th, 2023 is the open enrollment to get a 2023 ACA policy. Or there's also special enrollment periods. So if you had coverage through work and you lost it because you retired or got fired or whatever, laid off, um, that opens up a special enrollment period where you can get, even if it's you know middle of the year, June or July or whatever, you can get ACA coverage then. Or if you have a change in life circumstances, other life circumstances, like you get married or divorced or have a baby, you know those are all special enrollment windows where you can sign up uh, uh, at the time. Quick side note, if you're on Medicaid, which is a... Uh, you know, a health insurance system for those of low incomes. It's, it's a kind of combination uh, system run by federal government and each respective state. Uh, there's also something called Children's Health Insurance Program or CHIP, C-H-I-P, which is low cost coverage available to children whose, whose families have too much income to qualify for Medicaid, but um, not enough necessarily to, to qualify for uh, um, these ACA policy uh, premiums, at least premium subsidies. Uh, anyway, there's no special enrollment time limitation for signing up for Medicaid or these these CHIP children programs, uh, FYI. So let's talk about the types of policies you can get on Affordable Care Act. Now, the specific insurers who offer policies and the policies themselves will, will differ dramatically based on where you live. Different states, you know, different insurers operate in different states. I believe even like different towns and different zip codes uh, or at least different counties may have uh, different different uh, offerings of policies uh, amongst themselves. So I can't generally say like, you know, yes, you can get access to policy A, B, and C because it really all depends where you live um, and, and what's available to you in your actual zip code. So without going on healthcare.gov and actually looking around, uh, you know, you, you don't know what what's available and and what the uh, the costs are. But when you do look, You'll see some some metal colorings. There'll be a policy. It'll be like I'm, I'm just making this up. You know, Blue Cross Blue Shield Omni Bronze, and then there'll also be Blue Cross Blue Shield Omni Gold or Blue Cross Blue Shield Omni Silver. What's the difference? Well, uh, these these metal classifications simply denote how much uh, coverage of, of services and usage the insurer is on the hook for versus how much you, the policyholder, are on the hook for. So using this, again, made-up example of Blue Cross Blue Shield Omni is the name of the policy, there may be a bronze, silver, gold, and platinum version. Now, regardless which metal you choose, the policy is the same. It'll, it'll have the same networks of doctors, same network of services. It'll cover the same uh, services. Again, the difference in these gold, uh, I'm sorry, these metal uh, connotations or denotations, I guess. I, I don't know. It's never that sharp in English. Um is again, how much the insurer pays versus how much you pay. So for example, typically if you have a bronze policy, when you do have uh, a service or a doctor visit or you know a covered expense, the insurer will, will, will cover 60% of it. You're on the hook for the other 40. With a silver plan, the insurer will cover 70. You're on the hook for 30%. With a gold, the insurer covers 80% of the cost. You're on the hook for 20. And with a platinum plan, the insurer typically covers 90%. You're on the hook for the remaining 10 Sounds great, right? Why wouldn't everyone sign up for a platinum plan? Well, here's the catch. Realizing that the insurer uh, covers more on the back end, if and when you do use a policy, they charge you more for it on the front end in the form of the monthly premiums you have to pay. 
So all else equal, bronze policies will have a lower monthly premium than will platinum policies uh, because bronze have the least insurer coverage on the back end. So they have the, uh, you know, you, you pay less for them month to month because you're more on the hook if and when you do use services, doctor visits, um, you know, uh, whatever, you know, any sort of covered service, procedures, surgeries, et cetera. And again, the, the policies are the same. So the Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Omni, or, or whatever policy you, you have, whether it's bronze, silver, gold, or platinum, it's all the same policy underlying it. The only difference is how much you pay a monthly premium uh, and also how much the insurer pays versus you pay on, on the back end when you do have uh, claims for services. So a quick example, if you're healthy and you have no reason to believe you're going to be a heavy user of medical services this year or next year or whatever, um, a bronze policy may do you just fine. It'll be smaller premiums than silver, gold, or platinum. But if and when you do use it, you'll have to pay more out of pocket at the time. So that's kind of the choice and the gamble you take. If you don't think you're going to use a lot of services, it may be worth it to get these, uh, you know, the bronze or silvers that have these lower monthly premiums and just sort of... Uh, Hope you don't actually end up using it a lot, in which case you'll be paying more on the back end and, and vice versa. If you have a lot of medical conditions, you know you're going to be a heavy user of medical services, maybe a platinum or gold plan is better. It'll cost you more monthly premium, but the insurer will cover more of the actual services that you have. So that's the type of policies. Uh, let's now get into the fun stuff. And, and this is where things get technical. Um, premium tax credits. Drum roll. That, that was my sorry uh, attempt at a drum roll. So this is a big part of, of this whole ACA thing, uh, specifically with regards to trying to make these policies affordable. So the, the, the outright sticker prices of these policies aren't necessarily cheap or cheaper than policies you can get on your own through just like shopping around with a private health insurance broker. It's really these premium tax. Well, you know, the difference, again, is the ACA compliant policies will have those provisions, like they can't refuse you coverage because of pre-existing condition. They need to cover those uh, preventative services. Um, you know, there's that 80-20 rule, et cetera. Um, but pound for pound, if you can get ACA, so that, that may actually make ACA policies more expensive on the surface from a sticker price perspective than, than a non-ACA policy because ACA policies, uh, in theory, cover more and, and can't kick you out as easily. But this, this uh, ability to get subsidies on ACA policies in the form of these what's called premium tax credits, that, that's kind of the, the big magic with these, with this ACA thing, in, uh, in, in my opinion. So uh, stick with me. This is going to be kind of kind of clunky, but I'll do my best here. Um, I do have a YouTube video on this that I'll share where I did walk through this in more detail with numbers uh, and, and you know sp uh, spreadsheet and tax form. That will help make this come more to life and make more sense. So, so check that out if you're interested in learning more. But basically, these premium tax credits are, as the name implies, it, it is a tax credit, where in general, a tax credit is you do your tax return, whatever your total amount of tax obligation is, a tax credit reduces that tax obligation dollar for dollar. So you do your return, you have, I'm just making up numbers here, $100,000 of income, you owe, you know, your total tax obligation for the year is, uh, I don't know, 15,000 bucks. Um, and you get a tax credit of $5,000. That now erases down your your total tax obligation from fifteen thousand to ten thousand dollars. So now you only uh, you know have to pay ten thousand bucks for the year, whether it was through withholdings or estimated payments or paying at your tax return or a combination of those. You know, tax credit reduces your your total tax obligation for the year. 
the the sort of magic with these premium tax credits is that they're they're normally tax credits you don't get until you do your tax return after the end of the year. These premium tax credits are paid to you in advance during the year. Specifically, they are used to help defray and reduce the monthly cost of your insurance, your ACA insurance premiums throughout the year. They do that functionally by the, these these tax credits are basically uh, paid to the insurer on your behalf. The insurer uses those uh, payments that it gets from from the government to reduce the net amount of uh, premium you have to pay to the insurer every month. So that that's how they work. A little little clunky, right? But hopefully you've followed that so far. So again, it's a tax credit you would otherwise get at the end of the year when you do your tax return, but to help defray the costs of premiums through the year. Uh, you, in effect, get the use of that tax credit throughout the year, whereby those tax credits uh, have the insurer reduce the net amount of monthly premium you, you have to pay month to month for your ACA health insurance. Now, up through, uh, I forget the exact point, but some point in 2021, your eligibility to get premium tax credits was hard capped if your gross income exceeded four times the federal poverty level. Once you did, that was it. You were completely phased out. You were not eligible for any tax credits. But uh, thanks to the American Rescue Plan Act, which was put in place in 2021, um, that four times federal poverty level hard income cap was temporarily relaxed. There's no longer this quote unquote cliff, meaning if you're $1 over that limit, you're completely phased out. It's not like that now. Now it's this sort of gradual uh, ramped down, if you will phasing out of abilities to uh, to get premium tax credits. You're no longer hard capped where once your income is over four times the federal poverty level, you're done. No, you just sort of phase out and, and reduce your ability, your eligibility to get uh, to get credits. So the American Rescue Plan Act had that relaxed uh, credit eligibility that was only supposed to last for 2021 and 2022. But the recently signed into law Inflation Reduction Act um, extended that relaxation of the eligibility rules through 2025. So now, uh, through the end of 2025, you could have more than four times a federal poverty level of gross income and still potentially qualify for uh, Affordable Care Act premium tax credits, which is big for anyone on Affordable Care Act who has income below that level or is able to manage their income such that it stays below that level, specifically for retirees. There's often a lot of tax planning opportunities and income management opportunities, if you will, to uh, to keep your income low or at a certain level to, to get you uh, some premium tax credits if you're on ACA insurance prior to uh, to 65 when, when you hit Medicare. Once you're 65, there's, there's no point in getting ACA insurance because you're going to get Medicare uh, at, at that point. So the um, just so you know, the, the measure of income used to determine your eligibility for these tax credits is is a, a, a modified version of adjusted gross income, specifically the uh, definition of MAGI or modified adjusted gross income used for purposes of these ACA tax credits is uh, it's your AGI, your adjusted gross income, plus any tax exempt interest. So like if you have municipal bond interest that was tax free, you have to add that in here. Plus there's a, a few different foreign tax credits that don't apply to a lot of people, but if they did uh, if they do apply to you, you have to add them back in. I won't go into detail on them here. <clears throat> and for people on Social Security, uh, the non-taxable portion of your Social Security needs to get added back in. So as you may or may not know, not all of your Social Security is federally taxable. At most, only 85% of Social Security is actually taxable at the federal level. That means at least 15% is not taxable. 
for purposes of determining your uh, you know modified adjusted gross income for these ACA credits, you do need to capture and account for that non-taxable portion of Social Security that gets included. Um, again, just to recap, the the federal poverty levels for this is 2022, and these do change every year based on inflation. And these are also for the lower 48 states. Uh, again, Alaska and, and uh, Hawaii are slightly higher by a few thousand bucks. If you are single, so let's assume you're a retiree, you're single, you're not yet on Medicare. Uh, the the federal poverty level is $13,590 of modified adjusted gross income for 2022. Um, FYI, four times that federal poverty level is $54,360. So prior to the uh, temporary relaxation of, of this, um, you know, the income phase out thing, if your gross income would have exceeded $54,360 in 2022 and you're single, you would have not been eligible for any premium tax credits. But now with these uh, relaxed eligibility rules, at least through 2025, you can potentially still get some tax credits, even if your income is over the four times federal poverty level of $54,360. Again, that's for a single person in, in the lower 48. Uh, FYI, family of two, so a retired couple in the lower 48. The federal poverty level for 2022 is $18,310, which means four times that is $73,240 of uh, gross income for the year. Now, for what it's worth, um, some states used to pick up where the um, ACA left off in terms of, you know, again, prior to these relaxed eligibility rules, if your income exceeded four times the federal poverty level, you were phased out completely uh, federally from credits. But some states like California uh, actually kicked in some additional credits between four times and six times, I think it was, the federal poverty level. So if your income was in that four to six band, uh, you'd get some state level credits from covered California uh, to, to basically top up the, um, well, not top up, but, you know, pay you some credits that the federal government wouldn't because the federal government caps you out or used to cap you out at four times federal poverty level. Anyway, again, that, that, that's all um, old news for now because through 2025, at least, there isn't that hard cliff where, uh, you know, a hard cutoff of uh, having income that's four times the federal poverty level. Um, so here's how these premium tax credits actually work. And now we're getting into the thick of it. So uh, stick with me. I mean, we've already been kind of thick, but th this is the thicker of it. Um, when you sign up for ACA insurance through, let's assume, healthcare.gov. So I'm not assuming you're in one of the states that has their own platform. So you're going to healthcare.gov. You're going to sign up. You're going to shop around for policies. It'll ask you all sorts of stuff, you know, your name, where you live, your age, uh, other people you may have, you know, spouse, children, whatever. Let's assume it's just you and or a spouse because we'll assume you're retired. Um It'll ask you for an estimate of your modified adjusted gross income for the year. And that's like I mentioned before, it's your gross income plus tax exempt interest, plus you have to add in some of those federal tax credits you may have gotten, plus the non-taxable portion of your social security. You have to estimate that for the year and put that in. Because again, these premium tax credits are paid in advance. So technically it's a tax credit you get at the end of the year, but uh, practically they, they pay it out to you in advance during the year. So, you know, they need to know an estimate from you of what you think your modified adjusted gross income will be for the year. So you, you put that in when you uh, uh, sign up for, for your ACA uh, insurance. Um, this is where things get technical. Now, the amount of monthly premiums you're expected to contribute yourself is based on this concept of an annual contribution amount. And stick with me here, which is ultimately just saying what portion of your modified adjusted gross income are you expected to contribute yourself 
towards your uh, your annual premiums. In practice, premiums are paid monthly, but this is all viewed on, a, on an annual basis, uh, technically. So here's where the, the your amount of income matters. If you have, uh, if your modified adjusted gross income is one and a half times the federal poverty level, you you you're, you have zero expected contribution. So meaning none of your gross income is uh, required to be used to um, to, uh, to to make premium payments throughout the year. Um, or if you have four times, if your gross income is four times or more the federal poverty level, then your annual contribution amount is eight and a half percent of your modified adjusted gross income. I'll, I'll run through an example here in a bit. And then for every level of income between one and a half times the federal poverty level to four times the federal poverty level, your expected annual contribution is is sort of this gradually phased percentage of, of gross income from zero up to eight and a half percent. So you know the all sequel, the more income you have, the the, the higher your expected uh, contribution uh, is towards your annual premiums. So there's this sort of ramped up sort of phase in between again one and a half times federal poverty level and uh, and four times. Uh, federal poverty level. Now, um, if your income is below one and a half times federal poverty level, oh, man, I, I think if it's below 1.38 times federal poverty level, you're actually eligible for Medicaid. If it's below one times federal poverty level, I don't think you have a choice. I think you're forced to go into Medicaid at that point. But between one and 1.38 times federal poverty level, there's, uh, I you might have a choice. I, I, I'm frankly not sure. I haven't come across that situation directly involving Medicaid um, for what it's worth in the planning I do with clients we're, we're, we're uh, really um, cognizant to make sure their income stays above the Medicaid level such that they don't get pushed into uh, Medicaid and they can continue having you know ACA policies um, the the amount of credits you're able to get are also based off a benchmark assumed monthly policy cost or annual however you choose to view it called the second lowest cost silver plan so what does this mean Recall I said there's bronze, silver, gold, and platinum versions of, of health uh, ACA plans available. The second lowest cost silver plan is literally that. If you look at all the different silver plans available to you, which one has the second lowest cost premium of those silver plans? That's the benchmark. Here's why it matters. Stick with me again. This is thick. Uh, definitely check out the YouTube video. It'll, it'll help bring this, uh, you know, make more sense of this. The maximum credit you're able to get and premium tax credits is the difference between the second lowest cost silver premium and your expected, you know, required annual contribution amount that we discussed before. So, so, so let's put an example to this. Let's assume your modified adjusted gross income is a hundred grand. That means because that's over four times the federal poverty level, your annual contribution is going to be eight and a half percent of that, or eighty-five hundred dollars. So again, this means that modified adjusted gross income of a hundred grand means you are expected to contribute $8,500 uh, per year towards your premiums. Here's where the benchmark second lowest cost silver comes into play. If the second lowest cost silver plan available to you has annual premiums of $10,000 a year, that means you are able to get an annual credit of $1,500 a year. So let's recap. Again, you, you're based on your gross income of hundred grand and the 8.5% contribution you're expected to make, where again, it's 8.5% because your gross income's over four times the federal poverty level. That means you are um, required to contribute $8,500 a year toward your premiums. The benchmark second lowest cost silver plan has an annual premium of $10,000. 
So now since you're expected to contribute 8,500 yourself, that means you're able to get the difference or $1,500 a year in, in tax credits. And on a monthly basis for what it's worth, that's 125 bucks a month. So, you know, 1,500 a year divided by 12 is 125 a month. So that's the maximum amount of uh, premium tax credits you're able to get for the year is $1,500 or 125 bucks a month. Now, the actual credit you get is also subject to uh, comparing your maximum uh, uh, available credit, which is $1,500 in our case, to the actual sticker price premiums of your policy. You don't have, just because the credits you're able, you're able to get are benchmarked off of a silver plan, you don't have to get a silver plan. You can get any color, bronze, silver, gold, platinum. Um, but again, the credits you get are based off of the second law's cost silver. So for example, um, you'll get at most $1,500 a year in credit, whether your actual premium is $5,000 because you got you know a low cost bronze plan or it's $20,000 a year because you got a high cost gold or silver, you'll still get the $1,500 a year credit applied just the same. Make sense? So you still have flexibility in what policy you ultimately choose and therefore what sticker price premium that policy has, but the credit you get is based off the second lowest cost silver and that credit then is applied towards whatever policy you actually have. It does not need to be um, a silver plan. Uh, still with me? Anyone, crickets? People sleeping? Hopefully that made sense. Again, check out the video that I'll link. It, it'll it'll um, uh, make make this all a little more clear because you can visually see it. Now, here's an important part of this whole process too. Recall that these premium tax credits are paid in advance throughout the year, but they're technically tax credits that you get at the end of the year, which means the the gross income estimate you gave. Uh, during the year, at the beginning of the year, is often different than your actual gross estimate when you do your tax return. So there's a process in your tax return to reconcile that difference. Uh, specifically, it's done on Form 8962. You can find a link to that in, in the show notes. You'll also get a Form 1095-A that shows your, uh, you know, if, if you actually have ACA uh, coverage or one of the qualifying, you know, state plans like Covered California. You'll get a form 1095-A that shows the, the the gross premiums and the second lowest cost premium benchmark. Um, that's all used in this reconciliation process on form 8962 uh, <clears throat> when you do your tax return. So now if your actual growth modified adjusted gross income for the year ends up being higher than the estimate you gave earlier in the year, that means you ultimately got uh, too much advance payments of credits relative to what they should have been. That means then when you do your tax return and fill out form 8962, again, that's the form that reconciles the difference. You're going to have to pay back some of those credits that you got. Uh, so, you know, all is equal. It's going to increase your uh, uh, tax payment for at the end of the year or, you know, reduce the, the refund you otherwise would have gotten or vice versa. If your actual modified adjusted gross income ends up being lower than the estimate you gave during the year to, you know, healthcare.gov or covered California or whatever, that means you got too little advance, uh, advanced paid credits throughout the year. So in this reconciliation process on form 8962, you'll get back extra uh, tax credit when you file your return, which means you know, you'll end up owing less tax or get a larger refund. All right. Uh, one final note, um, health savings accounts. This is a whole separate animal. I'll do a separate, separate episode on this, but 
um, just to scratch the surface here, some ACA policies are also eligible to have you open a health savings account. Health savings account is a tax qualified account where you can get a tax deduction on money you contribute. The money grows tax-free and it comes out tax-free um, if you use the money for qualified uh, healthcare expenses. Uh, so in order to get an HSA, you have to have a qualifying health insurance policy, specifically one that's called a high deductible health plan or HDHP. Some ACA plans are, some aren't. When on healthcare.gov, uh, it, it'll denote, you know, when you're shopping around and screening through policies, it'll show which ones are eligible, uh, which ones qualify for an HSA. So one thing to consider, if an HSA is important to you, if you want to use it, then you're going to want to fi ideally find yourself a plan that is a qualifying high deductible health plan. And again, there are plans on ACA that that uh, meet meet that criteria. All right, that's it. I uh, dumped a lot on you. I'll stop here. This is probably one of the thicker, more technical ones we've done so far. Hopefully it uh, made some sense to you. This wasn't meant to be the end-all be-all. It was just sort of introduction. Well, I mean, I guess it was beyond an introduction. It was, it was pretty in the weeds, but um, hopefully it was still digestible and understandable to you all. Um, as always, if, if you like this podcast and, and the stuff I, I wax about in this microphone, uh, definitely you'll, you'll dig my Facebook group, Taxes and Retirement, my YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and my newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all three in the show notes. Also, my uh, shameless plug for some uh, positive acknowledgement in this podcast. If you do like and enjoy and appreciate this podcast, I would uh, highly appreciate and value you taking taking uh, you know some time out of your day to leave a positive review um, read a review you know click five stars give a thumbs up whatever you know whatever podcast platform you use to listen to this whatever uh, method of acknowledgement or recognition they give it would be greatly appreciated if you do uh, do uh, fill that out awesome that's it all right uh, hope you found this one helpful take care I will see you next time the information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you.